Hello, and thank you for joining us on The Business Advantage. I am Alicia M. Pennington, your host and owner of Advantage Athletic Training. Today, we have a special edition of the podcast. Unfortunately, it won't be CEU eligible, but you will have the opportunity to hear from one of NATA's presidential candidates. I was able to sit with Kathy Derringer in Houston while at the NATA symposium over the summer and ask some questions that may help you be better informed ahead of the election on September 1st. This was a live interview, so if you hear background noise or interference, do know that we were sitting in the middle of the exhibit hall during lunch hour. We encourage everyone to cast their vote on September 1st, regardless of which candidate they support. Using your voice to shape your future is a benefit of being an NATA member, but also a professional responsibility we all should take seriously. And for our second interview, we have Kathy Derringer. We're live here in Houston at NATA 2017. Thank you to Dragonfly Max for hosting us in their podcast lounge. Kathy, how's your visit been going so far? It's been an incredible experience so far, and it's only day one, so I'm looking forward to what the next couple of days holds. Absolutely, and we have something exciting to announce, right? We do, we do. We can officially announce that Kathy is going to be running for the presidency for NATA. So um, tomorrow, Wednesday, here live in Houston, we'll be having your... FaceTime will be at 9.15 Okay. General Assembly C, I believe. Wonderful. We look forward to hearing your platform. Well, I'm interested in talking to you today because not only are you a woman in the profession, but you've done majority of your work in business. Um, and that's kind of where I live and breathe. Right. So um, having been in business for a majority of your career, what skills do you feel are necessary for an athletic trainer to be successful in that area? Well, I think we already have those skills. Okay. Um, I, I truly believe that our skill set is runs parallel with anyone who wants to go into business. We just have to hone those administrative yes. and organizational skills a little more than most of us are used to doing. Sure. So obviously, depending on which kind of business you're going into, there's that niche yeah. that you have to learn about. I had to learn how to read a profit and loss statement. We sure. don't get that in, in our education. Um, I had to learn a lot more about Medicare and how health insurance worked because of the area I went into. And so there is that niche information we have to learn. Yeah. But, this, our, but to me, our skill set is our skill set. Yeah. And whether we bring our patient, whether we bring our skill set to a football player or a grandmother or a soldier or an astronaut, our skill set is our skill set. It's just learning the nuances still all about relationships and it's Absolutely. still about good patient care. I think Dr. St Dr. Saylor just said something similar. Um, from an administrative standpoint, what are things that you feel like we could uh, grow in um, as professionals regardless of, of which setting that we're in? As an administrator, I think the most important thing that we don't do is collect data outcomes absolutely and show our value yeah um, we are so good at what we do yes. we know that our patients know that but we don't have the data to share with the healthcare community to say hey we do this just as well as other healthcare professionals who are doing the same kind of activities 
we're just as good or better, sure. we need that data outcome. And why is it, do you think, that historically we haven't been in a place that collects data or that or that we're trying to get into that place? What's the, been the yeah. shift? That's a great question. I, and I, I have to believe that it's all about we're coming into our own as healthcare providers. Sure. We've always thought of ourselves as being a part of athletics. Okay. And now we're shifting into, no, we're not athletics. Yeah. We're healthcare providers. Okay. And that comes with that. Um, so I think as we get more comfortable with being an integral part of healthcare and knowing what is the right thing to do in terms of collecting data outcomes, doing patient satisfaction surveys, yeah. all of those types of things, I think we'll do a better job as we move forward. And how do you feel once we collect those data points, where do you feel that it could propel us as a profession or what kind of conversations can we make ourselves a part of as the result um, of collecting those data points? Yeah, great question. We have oftentimes when we've walked into a, a legislator's office. Sure. And we've, want, we've talked about being reimbursed by insurance companies or Medicare or whoever it is, we've often been asked, well, do you have any data to support your claims? Aha, uh -huh. yeah. Oh my. <laughs> the same thing, it's the same thing with the NPI. Yes. Um, we always hear, we hear a lot, well, I'm in the secondary schools or I'm in collegiate, I'm not going to bill, I don't need my NPI. Sure. But legislators look at the NPI number as a registry for healthcare providers. Okay. And if only a fraction of our members are have their NPI number, then we're not able to say, look how many we have yeah. because we're not listed. Right. So it's a way to justify who we are as healthcare providers. Sure. And we've got to move into that avenue. And I imagine that um, to an extent, we don't know what conversations we would find ourselves in because we don't have the data. And, right. and to an extent, we don't know what we don't know. We right? don't know what we don't know. And and if, if we ever have that goal of becoming an approved Medicare provider, yeah we will have to do better at all of those things because sure. that's where credibility comes from. Sure, and something that Dr. Saylor said earlier was that, you know, in an essence, we we have the same goals and even what you're saying as athletic trainers, and even if we are in the secondary school setting and we don't ever see ourselves reimbursing, what does it hurt to get that NPI for maybe the next athletic trainer or just in general for the profession? I think there's a larger conversation of what doesn't just benefit us individually, but how do we partake in moving the profession forward? And even if it doesn't benefit us specifically, right. it's something that we can do to help the next person or just help the profession in general. Absolutely. Um, I think it was John F. Kennedy who said, a rising tide lifts all boats. Yes. And yes. if we're able to enhance our abilities to work with our patients in any setting, it's going to help all of us. Right. If we can get salaries up in this setting, it's going to help all of our salaries. Correct, correct. And the same is true with NPI. Right. It registers us as a healthcare provider. And the more numbers, numbers are power. Right. If we have those higher numbers, we have more power to move forward our, our initiatives. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm seeing become more relevant um, as I'm having conversations about risk and liability and legalities, um, and something that I wasn't necessarily taught in my undergraduate was uh, from a data perspective, um, taking notes and charting and writing down what you don't see as much as what you do see. And I imagine from kind of the clinical setting or just from the business side of things that 
there is an importance in that, right? It's, it's as important to say there are no significant findings, absolutely. at least in the time that you do the evaluation. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What we find is important and what we don't find. Patient was able to walk sure. without a limp is just as important as patient has an antalgia gait. Um, it tells us so much more about what we're doing and gives us a more clear and concise view of what, what we're actually dealing with. Right, and I think that we're able to not only better protect ourselves, but just have another data point to say, um, you know, in relation to, let's just take concussion for example, that if we're starting to see that at that initial evaluation on the sideline, there are no significant findings, but everything is popping up, 30 minutes, 24 hours, 40 right. hours later, it is significant to, to note that and to report that Absolutely. and to have that in our data points. No question, no question. So what encouraged you to start a business and how has it allowed you to accomplish your career goals? You know, I, I gave a talk this morning to the students and kind of told my story and it, for, for a lot of it, it was fate. I, I believed I was going to be a collegiate athletic trainer my okay. entire career. Okay. When I got out of school, that was my goal. Um, and that's what I was working toward. And I found myself in a position where um, my hours were way, t way more than I wanted to be working. Sure. My life balance was horrible. We've all been through that as Absolutely. an athletic trainer. And I reached a point where I was questioning whether I wanted to stay in athletic training or not. Wow, okay. Um, and I, as fate would have it, a colleague of a colleague called me and said, um, we're going to put an outpatient rehab clinic in your town and we would like you to run it. Wow. And okay. so that was kind of how I got into it. Yeah. And I remember even saying to him, but I've never done this before. Right. And his answer was, well, we're just changing the building. Uh -huh. And so that was kind of my first epiphany about our skill set. Yeah. Our skill set is our skill set. It sure. doesn't matter if you're in a collegiate athletic training facility or if you're in an outpatient re rehabilitation clinic or if you're at NASA. Yes. Skill set is skill set. So I... I saw it as an ability, a way for me to stay in the profession. It was a new challenge for me because I had to learn a lot. Right. And so I ventured out, did everything I could to learn about this new setting, and I was so glad I was able to stay in the profession because it yeah. turned out, I believe I would have been miserable yeah. having left it. Sure. So that was kind of, it was all fate for me. It was right timing. I was open to a new opportunity and a new challenge. and. It walked through the door. God was God was truly yeah. looking out for me that day. I want to expand on what you're saying here because um, the NATA has a, a statistic that, especially females, um, there's a steep drop off as we get into our early 30s sure. of us leaving the profession. Absolutely. And I would imagine that it's mostly associated with starting families and trying to get that work-life balance and. Um, I, what I hear you saying is, is that you found something that worked for you, but you had to step outside of your comfort zone in order to make that work. So yeah. what are things that maybe you could tell either women or just um, in general, you know, athletic trainers that are kind of debating, should I leave? Should I stay? What opportunities will come? Yeah. What I mean, I think, you know, what you just said is I'm glad I didn't leave because I thought I would have been miserable. But what can you tell them either for inspiration or just, um, you know, uh, why should they stay? Well, the the short answer is it's such an incredible profession. Why would you want to leave? Absolutely. But I've been, having been there, I can say I know those challenges of you're being pulled to start a family, yeah. to get married, to settle down. And I, I want to raise my kids, not somebody else's. Sure. And we've all been there, Yeah. Um, especially those of my generation and older. And I think there just comes a point where you have to ask yourself, can I do this and maintain a good life balance? And 
is my employer willing yes. to be flexible with me? Right. Um, I spoke to a young lady um, a few days ago who had a new athletic director come in and all of a sudden she wasn't allowed to flex time with her athletic training partner okay. and she wasn't allowed to trade evenings to work with him uh-huh. the way that they they had managed to come up with a system sure. where they both had life balance and all uh-huh. of a sudden he was saying no. You Got both it. have to be here all the time. Okay. And and my what my advice to her was you need to start looking because you're not being valued. Yes. You're not being valued and that's the most important thing for us. So being able to collect the data of how hard you're working and the value you're bringing to your business right and taking that to your employer and saying look I need more staff I need more resources I need whatever it is right and having that data to support that request and if you are if you're able to do that and your employer says sorry then I think it's time that you look to go somewhere else whether that's the same setting or a different setting that works more with your lifestyle. Right. Um, but being valued, I think, is the most important thing for us as a professional yes. and as a person. Yes. Regardless yes. of where you're working. It's true. It's yeah. true. I was just was sitting in on a talk this morning that um, was discussing work-life balance and retention versus um, uh, turnover. And one of the primary things is if the employee feels valued, they will stay. Most and, definitely. And how you achieve that looks different for everybody. Absolutely. Um, but as as a company who puts people out in the field every day, I think it is important to have those conversations and just to kind of check in and make sure that they are in that place. Um, I mean, I, I definitely am prideful in that we provide opportunities for the stay-at-home moms, for the people that are looking for part-time. and. When I started my company, I had no idea that that was going to be a a majority of the people that we served, but I realized after having conversations and understanding, these people, they don't want to leave the profession. They feel like they're being pushed out, and and that's saddening. So if if there's a way that we can help them achieve that balance, then I I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And value is different for every person. It might be not working as much. It might be earning more money. Exactly. It might be the Vacation benefits. Vacation time, or whatever sure. it is. Sure, yeah. whatever it is that, that shows that you're valued, that's what you should be asking for. Agreed, agreed. And that, and that goes back to just general advocacy on behalf of ourselves, something that Scott brought up. And I do think that we are doing, starting to do a better job of that, but I think that more education, more mentorship, more understanding of how to say things in a humble but assertive way right, right. is going to be important as we move, Absolutely. As we move forward. Absolutely. Um, you've gone to every district meeting did. this spring with a presentation on business topics. What are the takeaways that you want other athletic trainers to know from that presentation if they weren't able to attend? Well, we've talked about a lot of it. Okay. Um, I am the value queen, as I'm love being it, <laughs> <love> it. <laughs> talked about. So a lot of it was w- how we as a profession need to do better at showing our value, but figuring out where we fit into healthcare. And for us, for me, where we fit into healthcare is where we want to fit into healthcare. Okay. Looking at opportunities that are that are now available to us because of the changes that are happening. Sure. Um, whether you agree with ACA or not, and it yes. may not exist in another month or so. Right. Right. But, and we don't know what will exist. Right. But the bottom line is that we're changing from a fee-for-service system to a value-based bundled care system. And in this new system, athletic trainers don't have to be 
approved by Medicare or Blue Cross or United, it doesn't matter. Okay. You can have a contract with, with an accountable care organization or a medical services organization and you don't have to be an approved provider and you can provide that service and get paid for it. Interesting. So that's okay. just one idea, one way that we can take advantage of an opportunity that's presented to us and I think as a profession those are the things we need to look at. How and taking advantage of those opportunities to put us in a better place in healthcare, I think is just going to continue to improve our status in healthcare. We look at things like orthopedic surgeons. They know us, they love us, they want us. Right, right. But what about other physicians? What about primary care physicians? Uh -huh. I talked to a young lady today who was going, who had just been hired by a neurologist wow. to work in a physician practice role. Okay. And I thought, I hadn't heard of that. What a great opportunity right, for her. Right, right. So where else can we put ourselves that we know we have value to that physician? Yes. We will improve their uh, efficiency and, and revenue where, what else is out there that we haven't even found yet? Yeah. That's where healthcare is going, and we need to capitalize on that. If I may ask, will that be part of your presidential platform? It just might. You'll have to come <laughs> to see. I'm loving what I'm hearing. <laughs> um, that's, that's awesome. I, I, I definitely think that even from an education standpoint, a lot of what you just said are things that we're not necessarily thinking about or understanding. Um, so in general to have our leadership saying things like that, uh, I think is not only inspiring, but also gives maybe some of those young professionals direction. Um, I think in the clinical setting or like the doctor's office setting, that might be somewhere where people can find work-life balance. And so if we can expand opportunities outside of just ortho, you know, look into to GPs or neurologists or, or other opportunities um, and really maybe create that space for ourselves. I know that historically we've been really good at that in the emerging settings just to kind of, we see a door ajar and we just walk right push, in. Push it open. Exactly. And so um, I, I, I'm inspired by what you're hearing and I, I'm inspired by what I'm hearing. Um, and I, it, it makes me excited about, you know, the potential presidential platform there. <laughs> Um, what do you feel like is the the relevance of business to the profession? I think we've pretty we've touched on it a lot mm -hmm. here, but is there anything that you haven't mentioned yet that might be relevant? The the only thing I would mention is the simula similarity, which is that it's all it's still about relationships. Yes, absolutely. In, in my business, it's still about relationships to my employees, my patients my referral sources, my community, right. um, being a part of the chamber, being a part of different clubs throughout our community, it, that's still what it's about, just as it is for an athletic trainer in a school system and their relationships. So business isn't really that far a stretch for us. Yeah. It's just, as I said, honing a different part of our skill set. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying it in that way because I think that sometimes when we think about the word business or really any other setting, we kind of get intimidated by we it, do. thinking that it's a totally separate skill set we that do. we are not prepared for. Um, and I think that the way that you're saying it is encouraging for people to consider other opportunities and not to just count themselves out or Absolutely. assume that they, they aren't ready for it. So right. that's awesome. Yep. Um, where do you see the future of the profession going? You know, it was interesting to hear Scott talk about um, a vision of 2030 because yeah. I've, I've 
actually independently thought of that same type of thing. Okay. We are changing so much as a profession from the last 10 years and I believe forward that it's exciting to think about where we're going to be. Okay. Um, I believe our credibility and our respect will continue to grow. Right. We'll start to see huge advances in terms of salaries and respect and our relationships with other healthcare professionals. I remember 15 years ago when when we were hoping to get in the door of a meeting okay. in regards to healthcare. Sure. And as time went on, and I think about Scott being able to testify in front yeah. of Congress, and now we're being, not only are we being asked to be a part of meetings, but oftentimes we're being asked to lead meetings. Wow, um, wow. Early, early on, I'm, I'm, I always hate to admit this, but I was at the very first Hit the Hill Day. Okay. And as walking in the door, we had to explain to everyone, well, what? okay, do you know what an athletic trainer is? No. So we're starting from yes. scratch. Well, time. that doesn't happen anymore. Wow. We walk That's in huge. and people know who we are and they want us to be a part of it. And and I think what's exciting, what's really going to be exciting to me as a profession, because this ha still happens, you know where you're watching a football game and and the sportscaster actually says athletic trainer. Yes. And everybody gets excited <laughs> yes. because he says athletic, athletic trainer. trainer. <laughs> I can't wait for the day that we don't have to get excited about it anymore. Wow. And that Interesting. We are a, we are a consistent part of healthcare and the sports medicine team we're at the center of it. Yeah, and so how do you see that being a, being achieved? Well, I think I still think we're well on our way. The okay. initiatives uh, that are in front of us in terms of in expanding our college university committee sure. and giving them more avenues to work. Our secondary schools committee is working tirelessly to, and you know about the Atlas Project right. and trying right. to count people. We've got to get total saturation of athletic trainers in the secondary school. Okay. I believe that secondary school athletic trainers are the front line of advocacy. Sure. They're where patients and parents meet us for the first time. Right. And if we're doing it right there, then that's going to carry over for generations. And then we talk about the emerging settings, but we talk about the emerging settings that have been around for 10 years. It's true. Clinical it's not emerging is, anymore. <laughs> so Performing arts and clinical, right? right? Like right. we're pretty well established in those areas but now. But what else is out there right. that we haven't that we don't know about? That we've taken our skill set to. Sure. So where else can we identify? So taking all of those initiatives and, and continuing to move it forward and going back to the outcomes piece. If we can have that outcomes to prove to anyone, to prove to everyone how absolutely awesome we are. Right. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Of course. But of course. we are so close. We are on the cusp, I believe, of being there and being the center of healthcare. Well, I'm excited by that. I do have a question. Do you feel that we have the numbers in our workforce to achieve that? to get an athletic trainer at every secondary school, to, to get into the college and universities the way that we really should be. And, and I mean, we're talking intramural sports. and I mean, there's you know a lot of opportunities available in each of these settings. Do you feel like, I think we're close to 50,000 now, and um, as we continue to grow, or even w as we see the change to the entry-level masters, do you feel that we have the workforce to accomplish that? I, that's a great question, and I don't know that I absolutely know the answer. Okay. But but here's what I do know. If we don't have the workforce, 
those areas are going to pay more to get an athletic Supply trainer. Supply and demand. Supply and demand. <laughs> so um, I, we, we thought as a profession that when we changed the standards for Katie, that we would start to see a, a very drastic drop off in programs. Okay. That really hasn't happened. Oh, okay. We've lost a few, sure. but we've gained a few. Okay. So we're continuing our numbers and believe that will continue. Yeah. Of course, we never know. Crystal Ball isn't working today. Sure. <laughs> but um, we believe that we will continue to put out exceptional professionals. Yeah. So I believe we do. Sure. Do I know that for a fact? No. Right. But even if we don't, that's okay. Right. Because more at, le, fewer athletic trainers means that there will be more in demand. Higher demand. Absolutely. Right. And right. we know what that does to salaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience? Nope. Not at all. Just um, welcome to Houston. It's a great place. It's a little warm outside. But it as feels you, really good in here, yeah, though. Yep. <laughs> we like air conditioning in Texas, yeah. and we use it tremendously. So You're a Texas native. Um, I'm an Air Force brat. Oh, okay. But my dad, who just pulled up about a half an hour ago. Oh, very cool. Um, who's in town for the ceremony tomorrow. He lives about 45 minutes from here. So okay. I call that home, yes. even though I live in North Texas. Yeah. And the ceremony that she is referring to is the NATA Hall of Fame, where you are going to be inducted as a I, Hall of I Fame am. member. I am. I'm very blessed. Yes. And, and before even a potential presidency. So that's, that's a really big deal. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Alicia. you so much for being here. Thank we you. appreciate it. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. And our 10th episode of The Business Advantage and also our 10th free CEU will be available before the end of the year. Be sure to log on to theadvantage.com slash CEU to get caught up on the first nine episodes if you haven't already. Our reporting period ends December 31st, 2017, and these are 10 free Category A CEUs for you to log. 